podcast ain't played nobody. It's over. It's done. All of you hater imitator podcasts. There's no reason to listen to anybody else right now, Bill, because you're the one who writes the previews that everybody else talks about on their podcasts. I'm looking at you, Ty Hildenbrand. I'm looking at you, Dan Rubenstein. I'm not really looking at Shut Down Fullcast because I think they would just kind of gather around in a corner and stare at a wall anyway and talk about that. But does it ever feel strange to you to listen to our friends' podcasts and then also listen to people we don't know and then listen to, like, radio people you really don't know and everyone's using your rankings? Does it, does it freak well, you out at all? Define everyone. I mean, um, pretty much everyone who has a co- – I mean – it was. I felt bad for Ralph Russo, who's a who's a friend of mine and a colleague, because I screwed up. And on Sunday, when the first AP poll came out, I didn't really look at it. I was in the middle of traveling. I kind of laughed it off, and I tweeted something like, "Hey, this is the only thing you need to use," and it was your preview. Which I feel bad for, like, because because like Ralph's a good guy. There's there's a lot of reporters for the AP who are who are good sharp people, and there's a lot of voters in there that are good, sharp people. But I still believe that the majority of those people have absolutely no capacity, not not intellectually, but they just don't have the ability to absorb a total football weekend, especially if they're assigned to cover a team. Um, And so that that makes the AP vote at least as flawed as the coaches vote. Um, I've heard, obviously, we've heard stories for years about how the coaches vote is assembled. So why not just put this whole thing on an independent set of metrics like yours what i'm saying is why why don't we just replace the entire ap vote with the s&p plus <laughs> oh that, that would scare the hell out of me uh, i get yelled at why? enough already i get yelled at enough already and you know I, I do like being able to have the you know there are certain things like you know i, I don't really care about head-to-head i honestly don't but like injuries um you know a team will remain if a team uh, you know is best in the country and then lake on treadwell <laughs> suffers an injury to use a certain example um, and they fall apart down the stretch, and then they still grade out really high. Um, for for a poll purpose, I'm not sure that's right. I, I guess this part of this depends on what we're actually getting out of a poll, especially now that you know if they're not doing um, uh, if they have no really impact on the on the on the college football playoff. You know, honestly, if they don't have any impact on the playoff, then what they do is just fine. Um, you know, it's it's basically, especially in the preseason, it's basically a way to to, for, to open up conversation. And, and that's that's fine. I, I don't take it any more seriously than that. I will say, I mean, looking at the power rankings I produce, that's not numbers. That's my that's my head. You know, I like I said last week, I tried to do that without any semblance, any sense of where I was putting teams. I was just, you know, I, I trust this one more than this one and this one more than this one. And then at the end, I put numbers on it. It wasn't that different than the AP poll. Um so, I mean, I think overall, for, for the purposes it's, it serves, I don't think there's any problem with the AP poll. It's just, I mean, if we start to take it more seriously than it is, there's a problem. But I, I think right, especially now that it, it is outside of the national title race, I don't really think that's a, a problem. I think that's the key there is, is what kind of framework you're using. I mean, it really did just fill a gap for like two more weeks. It was like this little bubble post-Olympic coverage for national sports writers to look around and go, oh, okay, well, college football's next. Uh, what do we have to talk? Oh, okay, we got the AP poll. Yeah. And then you have these sort of increasingly dumber segments that I, I don't see or listen to on Feinbaum, but I, I, I see the memes created on Twitter because like from the Feinbaum account. Yeah. I think a couple, a couple people I know – like I think Ross Dellinger, in, uh, who covers LSU, didn't have Alabama number one, and then Feinbaum wants to make a thing out of it, and it's, it's that I conje- hate. The conjecture is so stupid, but 
if it serves the purpose of, of I guess I'm trying to be positive in that if it serves the purpose to keep people talking about college football, is it that bad? Right. No, I, I don't really think it is. But I mean, that's that's you, you. We quickly get into the area that I also hate, like where we do the whole who had the weirdest poll. Let's shame them. Like um, that kind of runs the entire purpose of having a few more than like two people uh, in the poll. If, if we're basically going to establish conventional wisdom and then not allow anybody at all to to stray from that. That drives me crazy. That That's really that's not good for anybody. Um but like, yeah, I mean, if, if we really are just looking at this for the purposes of, um, hey, let's talk about who might be good this year. That's fine. We're done talking about the preseason. Before I try and plug my Texas story as much as possible from the college football preview, and before we get into a guest, which is part of a super cool promotional campaign for Bill's book, and before we get to box score bingo, do you have any last thoughts on... The preseason. So this is the end of a season, and we should treat it with the respect that it deserves. A season is ending. It's just the season none of us like. Yeah, I mean, it's a season where I'm, like, busier than I am during the regular season. But No um, kidding. How did that happen? I mean, it happened years ago. I, I gave up trying to figure it out. Uh, I don't know yeah, if I'm I, doing the whiny sports writer bit right now or not, but, yeah, we, we like, this last month and a half has been crazy. <laughs> it's been awful. Um uh, Gosh, let me think. Um, I have to. I guess I have a mea culpa that this was the first year, and, and and tell me if I'm wrong. This is the first year where I feel like USC got the proper coverage that they deserved. In yeah, fact, I had my numbers were were trying to to fuel it. That you know, I had them whatever it was in in S and P like eighth, uh, and they ended up uh, what twentieth, I think. And, uh, you know, I had them, I think, 17th in, in, in my power. Style. No, I mean, that's that's right. That, I think that's about right. And that actually might be under a little bit because they really do. If Max Brown sets a quarterback, if he if he's the guy who can and he can play solid ball. And I mean, by all means, he, you know, he has the the recruiting ranking for it anyway. Um, if, if he's ready to go, then they've got really talented, talented running backs and receivers. Um Trenches, uh, you know, especially on defense, I mean, they, they're rebuilding that front seven a, a decent amount. Um, but Clancy Pendergast is now the defensive coordinator. I think that's an upgrade. Um, he must be weird as hell to work with because he, he was out of a job for a while. But he really – he engineers first-year improvement, and he does really well against the spread compared to others. So, um, I mean, I think he's got the secondary to, uh, to, to do some damage. I, I think that's going to be a good team, and we might all be underselling them in part because we don't want to be wrong again. It's just so weird. I was, I was so ready to get mad at one of my colleagues, and even George Schroeder from USA Today went out to USC and did a, an accurate piece that properly captured the kind of eh around, around the preseason hype. Now they're going to win the national title, Bill. That's how this happens. I don't have anything to be upset about with USC. Maybe I'll, maybe we'll even, maybe I'll even like them this year. Maybe they'll play and have a corresponding amount of attention and acclaim, and I'll be okay with it. It's possible. I have, weird. That, I have nothing against Heritage Hall, by the way. This is just a almost yeah, no, podcast meme at this point. We, we've said this before, but I loved going out there. I thought it was a really cool experience. I liked it more than I thought I would. It really feels like a campus and a football school more than I thought it would for, like, you know, L.A. Um but no, they, I mean, it's, it's really, that's such a weird job. I think none of us really know in advance how a new coach is going to do there. It annoyed me the laziness of, of just promoting from within, but it still could work. Bill, how, um, how are you going to absorb 
the uh, football and football-related cheese food product that will be Hawaii and Cal this weekend. So technically, we're in a game week, all right? But we should act accordingly. So just like we would be in a game week going into the national title game where there's only one matchup to talk about, that's exactly where we are right now. Yes. So how are you going to throw a party? Do you think maybe you'll have some folks over? Do you think you just shut down just shut down your neighborhood, maybe get like a big projector screen, everybody gathers around, talks about their favorite Australia college football memories? Drink Fosters. Which apparently they don't even drink. Um, I, I understand all the logistics with this and like why it was earlier and why it was, you know, why it has to be earlier, really, even though Hawaii is going to be super screwed on their travel. Um, but I just don't feel like anybody cares. I feel like if they're going to move, it's kind of a conundrum. If they were going to move a game down there, it needed to be a good game. The problem is I don't think they could have convinced any better quality matchup to move down there. No. Like this, like USC, UCLA, well, they weren't going to do this, right? No. Cal has a kind of, let's just say, fluid situation in terms of leadership in their athletic department in the last couple of years. So they got the, I mean, kind of the third or four option, I think, of a California school to go down there. And then Hawaii is just, like, kind of the obvious choice. The problem is, like, all logistics makes a ton of sense. But, like, it's just, I mean, Cal's replacing Jared Goff. It's it's a hard thing to sell the casual football fan. I think right now people online are happy that Marshawn Lynch is there. Yeah. But in terms of the actual football game on Saturday night, um, and uh, Bill and I are both in the central time zone. It'll be 9 p.m. for us. It'll be 10 p.m. on the East Coast. This uh, that's the other thing. They they kind of lost. They kind of lost not a not a half of the country, but it, the Eastern Seaboard. If maybe if it was like a number fifteen ranked USC, would people be staying up to watch it? But people aren't going to watch Cal like that. People aren't going to stay up till ten p.m. to watch Cal. <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely record it. Oh, so you're not even going to watch it live? You know that's pretty late for me. I know. Well, yes, for those of you who don't know, if you're just new to the show, Bill goes to bed at usually about 6, 6.30, 6.45 uh, Central Time every night. But So you're not even going to, like, because you during the season you're up for, the, you, you stay up for the late games. Oh, well, yeah, for a while I do. Like, yeah, at some point, if unless it's amazing, yeah, I'll go ahead and hit record on that last game and watch it in the morning. And you have no interest whatsoever in watching this thing live, no interest in greeting back the sport that you well, love no, so I much. Mean, the, 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 the interesting part will be the beginning. Like where everybody, like that's the fun moment on Twitter where everybody goes, yes, football, and, and all that, and then it ends. Um, but no, I'll, I'll, I'll watch at least the first quarter live, and then, and then I'll fall asleep. Hawaii fumbles a punt return, and <laughs> Cal has to kick a field goal even though they get the ball in their you know, Hawaii four-yard line. Is that what you're saying? I, I, hey, I think Cal's offense is still going to be pretty good. So you know. It'll be decent. It, 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 is, it is technically legally football, so I think people will watch it just out of a morbid curiosity there. It really gears well towards, I think, the frat houses and dormitories of America will greet this game with open arms because everyone, pretty much everyone at a major football-type school is back on campus as of this week. Yep. There's nothing going on yet. Season hasn't started. Maybe there's like a fraternity-sorority rush. Maybe people are just starting to throw parties. And at starting at like ten o'clock on the East Coast, there's going to be a live football game on, which I could remember not going out, not leaving my apartment in college until ten thirty. Could you even process that, Bill? That makes like, it. Well, Bill, you know, Bill's I, gone silent. It just hurts him physically. I, I'm trying to remember. Like usually, we were at least out by like nine. But you know that I, you know. I, I and for the record, I was I, I in the dorms. I would stay up as late as I 
get up early now, if that makes sense. Like my bedtime then was my wake up time now. So it took four, it took years of shift and lots of coffee, but, but you know, here I am and uh, I'm unashamed for the, for the most part. Actually. Yeah. There, no, there was a piece to get way off topic because what are we going to do? Talk about Hawaii and Cal. Um, there was a piece today in the New York, I think the economist, the New York times at 4am is the, is the secret productive hour. So you're ahead of the curve, dude. Well, you know, there's there aren't any distractions. There's not even a point of turning on the TV yet. Um, you know, nobody else is up. Although, if it's if it's like you know a trendy neighborhood where everybody moves there and the prices go up, maybe suddenly four AM isn't as valuable anymore. But for now, uh, it, it is. It's basically me and the English soccer dudes on Twitter in the morning. Um, <laughs> and, and so, yeah, I can focus and get some stuff done. Bill, I went to Texas. Okay, and we can we can talk about it. The story's out. Um, I went to Texas and. Uh, I tell you what, this is what this is the value add that I bring to this this show. Other than co-hosting for you and talking about um, talking about analytics, that you know, it's it's actually kind of neat how how well I can glide along and not understand everything. But <laughs> I set out to write a story about Texas a year and a half ago, Bill, and you know oh. this because you work with me. Um, this was back. If you can hop hop in your way back machine with me, college football fan. And I want you to go to a magical land where Charlie Strong and Texas have just been screwed by the refs in the Oklahoma State game. Are you there? Kind of making that wavy motion. Okay. So if you go back and kind of try and pinpoint the zeitgeist of Austin, Texas, and the greater Texas fan base, things were, things were not good. There was the Oklahoma State game last year. There was the Cal game. Uh, and then just as it felt like Everything was inevitable that Texas was going to have to make a change. And there wasn't really a guy named Tom Herman yet. There wasn't the obvious hot coaching commodity. Like he was, he was being talked about, but it was still this whole like Cougar High, Houston kind of vibe. All of a sudden, I go to Dallas, Texas. I meet with a bunch of these like wannabe clandestine boosters and various people who work in various tiers of the world of Texas football and Texas just absolutely drags Oklahoma around with a, yep. with a running game that was a, a shade off of the old veer. It didn't matter. It felt like for this one little bubble moment, and I stood on the field at the Cotton Bowl when this happened, and the players just exalted. They, they, I mean, this was like a, this was a playoff win level celebration, and I can compare those. I've been on the field for those. That was the level of feeling in beating Oklahoma for Texas because the frustrations around the program, the criticism of the coach. I think there was a massive divide in the locker room. And I stood there and I thought, well, maybe my original narrative isn't going to work. Maybe the jury is still out on Charlie Strong. I keep in mind this was also the same time where they had massive problems in the AD office. They had fired a bunch of staffers, including the SID that I had corresponded with. So the whole thing just kind of felt like a mess. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go down there and and try and make sense of this. And as I went back to Austin last year, and in the time between I made that visit, Iowa State happened. Yeah. Now, at this point, what was your reaction? Like, wh- like where are you at analytically last year if someone comes to you after Iowa State and says, Charlie Strong's got to go? Um, well, I you know, the same place I was for Mark Richt and Les Miles and everybody else. Anytime... You know, I lived to I lived through way too many. Uh, we should fire Gary Pinkle and hire Gary Barnett things here in Columbia. Right. Like my my natural reaction to anybody saying anywhere saying fire this person, I, I always just say chill. Um, so that, that was kind of where I was at. I saw I, like I I knew, 
like I, I well actually I didn't I didn't know 24 nothing was going to happen but it, that, you know from a number standpoint and and from an eyeball standpoint I watched the te- the TCU game I watched the Cal game I watched the Notre Dame game it, you know the, you don't usually the 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 switch doesn't get flipped one week and then suddenly you're awesome and so I you know I think my projections had Iowa State winning that by like two and I got massive crap for that no because this is New Texas. Uh, but it doesn't usually work that way. Sometimes it does. Occasionally it does. Usually it doesn't. And so uh, I wasn't that surprised. I was kind of surprised by the level of, of direness in that game. But I, I, it kind of seemed like they were probably due for a setback. So I spent the entire offseason trying to figure this out. Boosters go back and forth. And I talk about this in the story. Two major things happened. Charlie Strong finishes the year five and seven. They they beat Baylor, but it's kind of almost this asterisk next to the fact that, you know, it's a losing record. We don't know where this program's going. Texas lives and dies in, in sort of this, like, uh, faith in a quarterback. And I know you're thinking, well, okay, every fan base has that. But in Texas, it's different. This is a Texas program that is still – it was sort of permanently rewired by the combination of Vince Young and Colt McCoy of almost the superhero quarterback, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. They haven't had that. They haven't even. They haven't had anything close to that. It's been sort of a rotation of, of inefficiency. Um, they go through the off season. They have to. They have to lure the offensive coordinator from Tulsa, Sterling Gilbert, to Austin. They have to basically offer him twice, which is kind of it's. You know, when you look at that sentence on paper, it's kind of insane. But that was the state and the frustration with the program. They went after Sonny Cumbie. Uh, it didn't happen. It's kind of crazy how good. I think I've said this three three weeks in a row. Like I should write something about how amazing TCU is as a job destination, but it really is that amazing right now. Like a, they are doing absolutely everything right in Fort Worth. Okay, so you're five and seven. You've recruited pretty well, but you closed late on a lot of guys, so people didn't get the time to kind of boast in Texas the way Mac Brown used to be able to like finish a recruiting class in August of the previous year. Okay. So there's still anxiety. There's still concern. Two things happen. Shane Bouchelle, the freshman, comes in and has an amazing spring game. Now, in realms such as these on this fine podcast, we could give two rips about a spring game, especially one that was, by the way, I think it ended in like the early third quarter because yeah. of lightning. Like, it, yeah. I mean, it was like a step, a sniff off of like a scrimmage, okay? Doesn't matter. Airs on LHN. They sell tickets. People lose their minds. Shane Bouchelle, he's Jesus. All right? We're going back to the promised land. We're going to have an effective quarterback. Then the second biggest thing happens, and I kind of argue that I I, I left it open in the story because I think this is the second biggest thing, but I don't want to turn this into a Baylor thing, and that's that Baylor fired Art Bryles. So not only did Texas get the elimination of probably what their top – Suddenly, their top rival in the Big 12, based on the amount of attention that they spew and the frustration that they've had, 1-1-A, whatever, I don't care. They, they, they have this opposing coach who's giving them fits. He's gone. And now they get to shave the top level off the recruiting class. So Charlie's class, in retrospect, with none of the attention that you would give you know, uh, an Alabama signing class that's, uh, you know, number one right on signing day or has most of it locked up by January, Texas ends up having a top five recruiting class. And all of a sudden, you look around, you've got promise at quarterback, you've got a new system that's basically a Bryle system that Gilbert, I mean, Gilbert came off the Bryles tree. Yeah. In fact, I, when I was digging around there, there are quotes from Bryles that are actually really kind of funny and weird about, you know, really happy for Sterling, hate it from a professional reason. Guess I got to hate him now when Sterling was hired and Bryles is still at Baylor. 
So now all of a sudden, without playing a single down, Bill, a bunch of good things are happening in Texas. And so there's the, the pendulum is swinging back towards the positive side. So I walk into Strong's office, and I don't really know what the hell I'm going to get because I've interviewed him twice before, and it didn't go well. It wasn't, like, catastrophic. It wasn't Bobby Petrino. But the guy is not necessarily the most open of books. And so I walk in, I sit down, and we just start BSing right away about high schools in the South that we know about and coaches that we know about. And the whole thing started because I had mentioned that my wife up until last year had worked at a high school here in Nashville. And then it was on. And it was, he was completely disarmed. He was completely calm. And he was really funny. And he is really funny. And he knows more about the, the back roads of the SEC and the Big 12 than people realize. Growing up in Arkansas, kind of straddling the line between those two universes, and then working for as long as he did as an SEC assistant, uh, I don't know what it was. I don't know if I just caught him on a good day, but I got a great interview from him. Um, he's completely happy. He's completely calm. And when I called around and talked to people from Louisville, it was they immediately said, oh, well, that's because he knows he has a good football team. And so a couple of Texas fans have read that and then immediately like, national title. I don't know about that. But I do think that this is a winning – this is a football team that finishes 2016 with a winning record. And if that's a 7-5 and five winning record, I think any, any conversation around firing strong would be ludicrous. Now, it, it's still going to happen, but I think if this is a base-level 7-5 and five team, then everything's going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, I think we've talked about this a little. Like, the, there is the um... – he's still going to be playing so many freshmen and sophomores. And and it was like we were saying, you know, when suddenly it's, you know, the the quarterback headline is now swoops, isn't giving up the job yet. Swoops making a charge. Like, ah, 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 you sure? Cause I thought Michelle was supposed to be a lot better than swoops. I thought we, we had left swoops, swoops behind, but, um, you know, the, the, it is still going to be a really, really young team and they still play, they still have so many landmines on the schedule. I mean, that's, you know, I, I think we, I said this back, like when he signed that class, like now he's going to have kind of an, and this was before Baylor, but I think I said something to the effect of, you know, now he's going to have a really good off season. We're going to build Texas up there and they're going to lose to Notre Dame and it's just all gone straight back to like last October. Um but I am, I'm curious, A, I'm not nearly as confident in Notre Dame now because they, you know, they lost half their team to stupid arrest last weekend. But, um, yeah. They took, a, they took really, an already kind of questionable secondary and made it worse, which is not necessarily something that you would expect Swoops or, you know, the freshman Michelle to come out and exploit. But it, it, may, it may help level it off. And then yeah. Notre Dame looks like they're going to be running a stable quarterbacks and they're going to be doing it in a hostile environment on the road. I'm not. I, I'm definitely not predicting a Texas win, but I, the concept of a 38 to three game. I, I mean, I definitely don't see that happening. Yeah, no, I'm a lot less confident in Notre Dame than I was like a week ago, or yeah. I guess two weeks ago now. So um, there, there is that aspect to it, and I'm, and I mean, we'll just have to see. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but uh, you know, the the whole Texas Texas A and M Houston slash Tom Herman thing. It, it really is fascinating to me right now, simply because I have absolutely no idea what might happen. Like none, and so um, I mean, there's so there's just a million scenarios about one of the two teams doing well and the other not, and then you know, does Houston get into the Big Twelve and therefore offer offer Tom Herman thirteen million dollars a year on the spot because they're crazy enough to do it? Um, 
you know, there, there's just so many variables there. Like I can't even, I can't get the slightest read on, on what might happen with those three teams and one coach and everything else. And like I said, a long time ago, like the bar, if they think they can get Herman, the bar for strong this year is probably going to be pretty high because if they go seven and five, you still have to consider the fact that, you know, next year, like if we get Herman, he can come in with a more experienced team. Uh, and, and maybe we think Herman's a better coach than strong and, and yada, yada, yada. So, um, I no, definitely don't think, you know, I, I won't mistake Charlie's optimism for, for a kind of assuredness around Texas. Um, you know, we had, I had planned on running a little bit more information from conversations that I'd had with boosters and people around the program. But, of course, politics being what they are in Austin, they wanted to remain anonymous. And I didn't want to put disparaging quotes from anonymous sources against a coach who went on the record and was incredibly open with me about dealing with those specific situations just didn't seem right. And also, it didn't read well. Um, I thought we had a more contained, interesting conversation with Charlie in his office, and we, we kind of ran with that in our preview. Um, I don't think that anything, you know, just because just because Charlie feels good, um, it's hard to say that that floor won't collapse underneath him if it's seven or even eight, which is insane to think about. But on a base level, I, I just... I wouldn't say he he won me over by any stretch, but he's not operating in a panic-stricken way. And what you see a lot from coaches that are entering true blue hot seat years is a an increase in stress. I'll give you a great example. If you've if you've been around in any capacity the Tennessee football program in the last six months, it is it is a it is a depleted national power during a wartime scenario. Right, it's like England at the end of World War II. It's just stressed and exhausted, and they haven't even played a football game yet. Yeah, um, I mean that's a, that's a fair point. I, I think I learned my lesson a couple of years ago when when uh, you know I was trying to talk myself into South Carolina still being good after Clowney, and I had you know numbers to prove it. Um, and then you know at media day, Kevin Sumlin walks out there and said, "Yeah, Spurrier knows he's got a good team. You can tell by his strut. Um, he did not have a good team." <laughs> And so he, he was very wrong uh, if that was what he believed. And I was wrong. And so I do kind of I at least hold back on that now. But, I mean, he's got the upside of that roster is obvious. It's just how quickly can the pieces that need to mature do so. And if they, be, if they can take advantage of Notre Dame suddenly being in kind of chaos here at the start, that would be huge. Um, if you can stake that win before anything else happens, that would be fantastic for them. People who are invested in strong right now, and and really someone as well, I think at Texas and Texas A and M, I think that it would behoove them to see Houston take a loss early, just for some of that momentum to die off. Yeah. Because if they beat Oklahoma, the conversation just ramps up even further. It it, it becomes almost unbearable in in Texas, and then if they're running through a schedule undefeated, I, they hit Louisville very late. I think we've broken down their schedule a thousand times now. I know they have what could be a trap game at Cincinnati on a Thursday. If they have less than two losses and they're headed into the home stretch, I think that that noise becomes pretty tough for a Texas team. You have to assume we'll have three losses heading into the end of the season. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, again, I'm not taking anything Charlie said as really a you know concrete – a metric or something I would, you know, something I would bet against. It was just fascinating to see his level of calmness and also a very singular vision in that he's only 
worried about developing his guys on the roster because now the majority of guys are his guys on the roster. Cliché, but also one of those clichés that I'm always sold very aggressively by coaches is saying, I know you hear this all the time, but... It's one of those. It's not like uh, you know the normal crap we hear every February. Like, oh man, this this new strength and conditioning. You know, this is a legit cliche. I would say is that if you know, if you have a fingerprint on the majority of the players in the locker room, messaging becomes easier. And he feels extremely confident about that messaging. If they come out and beat Notre Dame, uh, I think it's a referendum. And I think you know, having talked to Bud Elliott and the landscape of, of recruiting in Texas that's when things really ramp up and they start operating like the machine that Texas fans assume them to be in terms of their branding, going into all the high schools and all the right places, winning the recruiting battle, showing that they have consistency on offense, all that stuff. So um, I don't want to linger too much on Texas. Um, Please go read the piece. Um, I was actually kind of happy with it when I was done, which is a super, super rare thing for me. Um, My level of self-loathing tapered off for about five minutes. So, um, included in the giant, massive, bestest, better than everyone else's, that's right, you heard me, uh, preview are excerpts from Bill's upcoming book. And Bill, we have a special guest now that is going to come in specifically to talk about the book because he helped make it happen. That's right. So what we're going to do now, obviously we get to, you know, box score bingo and everything um, eventually, but what we want to do first is... Uh, if you recall, I, I, I'm writing a book, and it is almost done. And uh, as part of the Kickstarter for said book, one of the one of the um, uh, the, the offerings was 15 minutes on a podcast uh, on on a PAP and episode. And and so we want to welcome the first one of these uh, that we sold four of them. We'll have these uh, unveiled as as the season goes out. Maybe we save the others for when the book is ready. But since we posted a couple of excerpts um, of the book during in, in the big uh, SB Nation college football preview. Thought it would be a good time to bring on the first. His name is Nate Edwards. He is a Mizzou guy. Uh, and uh, hey, Nate, I really, really appreciate the support. Absolutely, man. I appreciate your work. Um, I got what, a study hall way back when you launched that uh, two or three years ago. Yep. Ready cover to cover probably within a week. <laughs> uh, been an avid listener of your guys' podcast since its inception. And uh, yeah, it was easy. You put out the call. I was like, bat signals up. Yeah, I can do this. Uh, if I can get 15 minutes with you guys, even better. So, yeah, it was an easy decision. You know, it was, it, it was a really weird experience. I mean, I, I obviously felt at least semi-optimistic that, you know, whatever dollar amount we posted up there that maybe we'd be able to hit. Uh, but it was still really weird seeing, like, seeing the dollar figure go up and seeing people like, you know, if I, if I hop on Kickstarter, if there's somebody, if there's a cool project that I, I think, you know, that'd be pretty cool. I want to support that. My immediate thought would be, yeah, I'll spend $25 on that. Yeah. Um, it, but it, it 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 blew my mind that people were willing to spend more than that, and um, but so yeah, a million thank yous and to everybody else who supported it as well. Um, you know, trying to knock out some of the other uh, prizes, so to speak, whatever we want to call them here uh, in in this last week or so. It's been good to talk to people about the book. So uh, anyway, so the book we did post two excerpts, and you can read them. I can uh, if I remember here, I'll try to share the link. Uh, in the SB Nation post, but we, we shared 07 Oregon and, and 1999 Virginia Tech. We figured the SB Nation audience, at least one of those two would probably connect with most people, either as a memory or just kind of a, in Michael Vick's case, 
uh, kind of a myth, uh, you know, for, for people who are maybe not quite uh, as old during that 1999 run. Uh, it was really, really hard to describe just how, at first, how perfect Michael Vick seemed. Uh, because he was, you know, he was. We were used to running quarterbacks by 1999, but uh, he, he had a cannon. He seemed to be able to do absolutely everything, and he was faster than the other mobile quarterbacks. And and, and it was really, it really was like a video game character. And um, so I'm glad, at the very least, that maybe I could help communicate that to to some of the younger viewers as well. Now, yeah. Nate, you, you went to Mizzou, so I'm just going to go ahead and like put my microphone down, maybe go make some coffee, uh, and just let <laughs> you guys kind of nerd out. I assume that you, uh, where would you rate your fandom of Mizzou? Are you, are you a traditional Mizzou fan, or are you one of these like sneaky J-school guys who doesn't actually care? Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, no, I started out as a J-kid. Um, I actually went to political science because I hated all the BS that the J-school made you do. Hey! Um, yeah, yeah, so... There you go. Um, so I, you know, I was born and raised in Columbia. Um, my my grandpa was a professor at Missouri. He was a referee for college football games. My dad took me to the games all the time. So I was kind of born into it, and I didn't really start appreciating it until about fourth grade. Um, that was oh, I'm going to date myself here. Uh, that was when uh, the the flea kicker happened, yep. and it was the first game. Uh, if flea kicker was Missouri versus Nebraska, 1996. Six, seven, nine, seven, seven. Um, yeah, you would, you would know. Um, and, and so I, that was like the first game that I was truly invested in. Uh, Big Red was in town. The band was playing their stupid corn songs. And I was like, oh, my God, I want to beat these guys so bad. And I thought we had won. Uh, what, you know, Scott Frost threw it. It's whoever kicked it up and caught it. I was like, you got to be kidding me. And then we lost in overtime. And I'm, you know, I'm a fragile little child. Uh, they won and I cried. That was the first time I ever cried at a sporting event. And we're walking back to the car, and you've you've taken that walk, Bill, before. It it can be pretty uh, pretty lonesome on along the stadium there, and I'm just crying and my holding my dad's hand, and he just looks down to me and says, "Son, welcome to Missouri football," and that was my baptism, I believe. So yeah, that- I've been with him through thick and thin, mostly thin. Um, but yeah, Bill, you've seen a lot of <laughs> you've seen a lot. Yeah, of I mean too. that that eight year span, I think. Um... Yeah, we all have our own self-pity. Uh, every fan base has a, a high amount of self-lo- self-loathing and self-pity. But that eight-year span where you had the fifth down, Tyus Edney in basketball, and then the flea kicker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and among that, you know, you had the great, like, the great crowning moment for Mizzou Athletics at that point was the, the 93-94 basketball season where they, they oh, went undefeated yeah. in Big 8 play. Mm-hmm. And they still lost in the Elite 8, like – that, that was, you know, it, it really was. That was that was that was frustrating. I think since then, obviously, basketball has been way up and way down. But I, I think it's been a lot easier since then. We've kind of fallen into the more of a rhythm of a normal fan base. Um, <laughs> but when you're looking for those little those scars to say, like, I've been through more than you, the, those oh, eight totally. years were pretty good for Missouri fans. Oh, totally. And you know, when I was I was in college, and like all of my friends. They, they came from, you know, they came from Chicago, they came from Texas, a couple from Arizona, and they were like, you know, they came in, what was that, 05 was my freshman year, so they came in, and they knew Mizzou to be, like, okay, and then mm-hmm. 07 happened, and then they're like, you know, I had friends who were freshmen in 07, they're like, oh yeah, this is how Missouri football is, I'm like, dude, oh, oh dude, no, 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 yeah. this is, this is hollowed ground, and, and so when we had the regression in 09, when we had, you know, this, the, the shoulda, coulda, woulda of 11, they're like, well, what the heck's going on? I'm like, well, this is this is kind of how it is, guys. You know, like this is more of what I'm used to. 
Um, but it, the bar has absolutely been raised. I mean, we're not talking like we're, when I was a kid, if we won two games, I was ecstatic. And, you know, now it's like, you know, I'm expecting five, you know, like if I'm being legit, five to six is what I'm ex- expecting season in and season out. So it's nice that the bar has been raised. Uh, we certainly haven't hit Glenn Mason territory, like you said, uh, like you said, in so many other of your previews. Um, but I'm glad that the bar has been raised. I don't know how much further it can be raised, but being in the SEC and with the coaching staff that we have in place, I'm feeling good long term anyway. All right. Yeah, I have a little. Nate, oh, go ahead. Nate, you're, you're obviously a Mizzou fan, um, as is the co host of the show. But I, I have a sneaking suspicion that if people are dedicated to this sort of, you know, occasional garbage fire of, of disorganization and poor audio. It's to listen to us talk about other programs. I mean, we kind of make jokes <laughs> sure. about the whole sure. major thing, but is there, are there a collection of programs or anything in particular that have nothing to do with Mizzou? I like to ask people these questions. Like, is there anything that has absolutely nothing to do with the team that you care about that you are interested in? You know, if you were to, if you were to say non Mizzou, I'm interested in these things this season, what are those things? So if it's, if it's not Mizzou, I have like, I'll say two teams that sit squarely in my blind spot in so much that I'm like, I want them to be good every single year. And that's Boise State and it's Toledo. And I don't know why. I, know, I understand Boise State. They took down the big bully Oklahoma in 06. But you know, Toledo, I don't know why. I, maybe it's because that's where Pinkle came from. Toledo, maybe it's wow. Yeah, maybe it's because it's re- relatively close. You know, I got to pick a matching team, but – I always want them to do well, and it sucks that they lost Matt Campbell, uh, but they've had a good stretch of years, and it always made me like secretly happy to see them do really, really well. Wow. Dude, Godfrey was basically looking for any answer that wasn't Purdue, so you passed. <laughs> yeah, that, <laughs> no, that I, meme I, became I, unkillable. I know. Um, so, okay, so the, you're on here because of the book. The book is about interesting teams. Yes. Um, what is your... I mean, you can do Mizzou or somebody else, whatever. Um, what has been in your fandom, in your life as a college football fan, what have been some of the more uh, just purely interesting, innovative, fascinating teams for you? Well, for me, I think, again, if we're going to my blind spot, that 2010 Boise State team that was, you know, one terrible performance in Reno away from maybe – Maybe playing for the national championship. I don't one know. Te- one terrible kicker performance. Well, yeah, yeah there you go. Um, that just that was that was watching them play, watching them destroy teams week after week. I was like, oh my gosh, it's finally the season where that actually happens. And I was in I was in a bar in Kansas City. I'll never forget this. I had my friend next to me, he, and every time their kicker lined up, he's like, he's gonna miss it. He's gonna miss it. And the dude missed it every single time. Even when they had that huge Hail Mary at, at the end of regulation, yeah. he still missed it. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. That was the most one of the more fascinating teams to follow, probably because they were so good, but also because it was Boise State, and people were talking them up like they were in Oklahoma, like they were in Notre Dame. Um, and just the collection of talent on that team was astronomical. Starting, you know, the entire offense was not, like, going to blow you away, but they had, what, Austin Pettis on there? Um, they had, I think they had the muscle hamster, right? Yeah. They had, uh, yep. Doug, um, Doug, God, Martin. Yeah. Doug Martin. He was on there. Like the, the collection of talent that they have was how do you get that to Boise, Idaho? I don't know. Um, oh, Titus, Titus Young. That was the Titus you know, the, Young. Yeah. He was the one who caught that bomb to set up the missed field goal at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And like, I mean, the defense was probably the best unit on the field. I'm not sure if any of them are 
still playing in the NFL or anything like that. But it's just it was a true team effort. It's not not too many standouts, uh, but a true team effort that was able to wreck the whack and came super super close uh, to the national championship. And that's probably going to be the most tantalizing team I've ever truly followed um, outside of outside of Missouri, probably at least in my yeah. Opinion. That and obviously I agree. I put them in the book. I mean I think the most interesting. Um, most interesting thing about that, like it, it involves the stats in that, like you know that that was around when I was getting heavier and heavier heavier into the advanced stats, and basically all year Boise was grading out ahead of Auburn, um, and, and and it was I I I don't think they would have made the BCS championship anyway. They would have probably even though Oregon's schedule was pretty weak, I think it was still going to be stronger uh, than Boise State's at the end of the year, so they probably would have finished third. Um, mm-hmm. But that really was. That team was proof that a mid-major can, even against a weak schedule or weakish schedule, um, that who was uh, the heavyweight mid- that year on the schedule? Uh, was that Virginia Tech? Let me see. George, it was Georgia, wasn't it? Oh no, that was the next year. It was Virginia Tech in 2010 and Georgia in 2011. Yeah. So they. So they, had, they I remember them having at least one calling card. It wasn't like yeah, a year yeah. like this season where I mean I, I think we're we haven't really gosh Bill have we talked about Boise really at all. I mean, every time I seem to talk about Boise on the show, it's just that hey, this. I think they they, they might be undefeated or one loss this year. It's just they, yeah. man, they really don't have anybody that they could even nudge in on the conversation with. No, that was that was frustrating because I mean, I think at that point, if if you had a decent Mountain West, they would have been in pretty good shape too. But it was the yeah. same. You know that, that we we move the goalposts so much for mid majors. Like they, you need to beat somebody. Yep. Uh, okay, well we're going to beat Oregon every single year. Well, you need to beat somebody <laughs> away from home. Okay, well we're going to go to Landover and beat Virginia Tech in, in sort of their backyard, a lot closer to their yard than ours. Yeah. Uh, well, you need to you need to beat others. Okay, well we're going to kill Oregon State that year. We're going to beat Toledo. Uh, you know, in the bowl game, we're going to whoop Utah. Well, yeah, but then you also have to, like, we just continued to move, change what they had to do every single, every single time they cleared a hurdle, we added a hurdle. And um, it is a shame. I mean, that Nevada game was amazing. That was one of my favorite games that I've ever seen, uh, just fourth brutal. quarter and all that. But um, I really, I wish they would have gone undefeated because that would have, well, I mean, it would have added to my own righteous indignation. I think when when they didn't get in, but uh, you know that I think that we we are such snobs when it comes to the as we always say the usurpers, and uh, that team was a very good example. That really might have been the best team in the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you're at the part of my dog here. I'm just as professional as you guys are. Um, Welcome. Yes. Um, the other team, and and this is uh, God. I I seem like so young because all of my teams that I'm interested in are. <laughs> like in the tens, but can we talk about 2011 Kansas state, that team that just, just did enough to win and no more. And everybody thinks that their team can replicate that and then turn it into what they did in 2012. And, you know, they were still in the big 12. We were still in the big 12 at the time. I watched them. I still don't know how they did it. I really don't, but they went 10 and three with the most like jalopy offense you can come up with and a defense that just, you know, a bunch of JUCOs and no-names. And I, it just blows my mind that Bill Snyder can do this. And I was probably too young for his build back in the 80s. But, man, to see it in the 2010s and actually see it firsthand and how you just eke out wins and just do enough was fascinating to me. Yeah, no, that um, – I mean, I still get – like, I still have scars from getting yelled at by K-State fans um, <laughs> because my numbers hated that team so much. But, yeah, I mean, they, they allowed – 
They, they averaged 3.9 yards per play against Eastern Kentucky, one by three. They allowed 7.1 yards per play against Miami, one by four. Um, they allowed seven yards of play against Baylor, one by one. Some beat Missouri basically because they got like an early interception scored and then sat yep. on the ball. Like they yep. went up whatever that was. It was 17-3 or 24-3 or something and then just didn't even try. Uh, and Missouri almost came back but didn't, of course. Um, yeah. No, they, I mean, they, on a yards-per-play basis, they were outgained by most teams or most decent teams, and they just continued to win. So that was um, that was wizardry. That was luck. That was having a good quarterback uh, who knew how to run out the clock and, and and eat up time. But obviously the the, the common example now, like this is I, – I'm watching Iowa for the for basically the same reason now. They, they, the, yes. the stats obviously hated them last year, but they returned their quarterback – uh, I don't think they return their kicker, if I remember right, um, and and that could be interesting. Uh, you know, Bud Elliott's theory of it, you know, like the the version of a bullpen where you know if you have a really good bullpen, you can win a lot of close games in baseball. Uh, head coach, quarterback, and kicker. Um, uh, you know, maybe maybe they still have the ingredients to to improve this year and improve a lot. But yeah, they were lucky as hell last year, just like K State was. Yeah. Yeah, and I, uh, I I don't know how much time we got left, but I do have a question for you, Bill, and that is, um, as you're going through an individual season, um, you're kind of keeping track of all everything that's happening. You're writing about it. You got great insight. Is there any team that once you do your finalized S and P, that just completely takes you by surprise, even from a I can't believe they're that good, or wow, I thought they were better than this? Um, I was having last year. I was having trouble explaining North Carolina. Um, like Iowa, I knew why Iowa was ranked pretty low. I knew why Northwestern was ranked pretty low. Washington State, I knew why they were low. Uh, North Carolina, I, I wasn't really able to explain as well. Um, I do think, I mean, their, their special teams played a role in that, and I think I finally figured out a way to, to kind of incorporate special teams a little better. But that was a team that was really a lot lower than I could really understand. And then, I mean, I, you know, I've talked up Arkansas. I, 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 I can kind of explain why they were as high as they were in 2014, but it still seemed really high, like a little too yeah. high. Um, yeah. And so that one was, you know, b- because they, I mean, they looked so absurdly great. Like every game they won was like 35 points and every game they lost was by seven. Um, mm-hmm. But that was still kind of hard to explain. I think on the other end, I was kind of, I was hoping they would be a little lower uh, in the end than they actually were. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I always, I always wait with bated breath to see the finalized, you know, rankings and everything. Because there, there are always some that take me by surprise. And like going back through your historical S and P, some of these, you know, you stopped right in 90, 1970, which makes me sad because 1969 was, you know, maybe Mizzou's greatest year Mizzou, ever. Yeah. Uh, but you know, going through, I'm like, I can't believe some of these records and and some of these teams. And I know that's kind of estimated stuff, but um, yeah, I don't know. I it, it's just really, really interesting to see how your formulas work. Um, how it views versus what we're seeing. And, and I feel like you put a lot into it uh, that, that can take into account a lot of what we see or describe the quote unquote intangible stuff that coaches love to harp on. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, it's just, I don't know. I don't know how you do it. And it's really fascinating. Well, I, um, yeah, I was actually disappointed. I stopped in 72. I was, I, my original thought was, man, I think I can get back towards world war two by the time the season starts, but it just, uh, <laughs> it, it became one too many things basically by, yeah. by mid July. Yes. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, my, my best answer for all of those things is, is by far the least satisfying answer. And that's, you know, you play 12 games, you play 12 to 15 games yeah. um, in baseball. They play 162. Like they, they're just there are so many, uh, you know, unanswered questions in study hall. I made a point of like 
I think Louisville was the one who had won the basketball national title that year. And I was like, watch this best team in basketball. Poof. They went eight and four with this selection of non-conferences and this selection of, uh, of conference games. Like it's, 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 I think we all kind of innately understand that, but we hate that answer (laughs) Um, because there has to be more meaning in what we're watching than there maybe actually is. But um, no, I mean, that, that goes back. I wish like my goal eventually is to be able to compile more and more stats and be able to use more than just score for some of those. But you know, that's where we are now. Nate, um, do you have any final questions for us? We appreciate you joining us. And um, in terms of guests, I think you've been um, one of our best. I would say better. I would say better than Feldman. <laughs> well, thank you very much, guys. Um, I love the show. Uh, you guys have been kind of my podcast muse. I've been trying to get into uh, college football podcasting myself. I do have a show. It's way low tech and pretty crappy, but um, so I love listening to you guys. Yeah, our kind of show. <laughs> so I love I love what you guys do, uh, Bill. Your your season previews. Uh, congratulations again on finishing all 128. Anytime I'm previewing a team, I got your stuff pulled right up. I'm like, all right, what does Bill think? And then you just kind of draw my my information from that. And Godfrey, dude, you're probably one of the more entertaining podcasters I've ever listened to. Oh, so you guys, are, thank you. you guys are a great team. What's the name um, of your podcast? Yeah, I was going to say Pimp the oh, Podcast. Yeah. Yes, Rush the Field. You can listen to it live on Wednesdays. Uh, we podcast oh, over on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Uh, you can uh, click the link and listen live. Or you can, of course, download our NBS app, uh, which I will not drop here because it's silly. But um, you can listen to us online. Uh, follow me on Facebook. I post it all over Facebook. So uh, rush the field for all your college football needs from someone who doesn't do this professionally. Hello. Well, all right. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks again to Nate Edwards for, for helping out there. Check out his podcast. I, I do not believe uh, he had started this when he, he <laughs> pledged. So you, you can't say like, well, actually, no, never mind. I was going to say you can't say that he, he, he paid the money just to, to promote his podcast because guess what? That's fair, too. Uh, that that would have been totally fair, but check it out. Uh, terrifying, terrifying to think that people are listening to this and going, oh, that's what I should do. <laughs> But no, check, check that out. He's a good guy. He's a friend of the old Rock M Nation manager, uh, co-manager Ross uh, and I. And um, thanks again to him. So, next, uh, Bill, next week we're going to be back with legit, true blue, hand to God, like college football previews, like of games and stuff. Has that hit you? Yeah, I can't wait to talk about South Carolina Vanderbilt. <laughs> wow. That's the kind of nihilism that normally comes from this microphone. Um well, until that point, we're going to play a little block, uh, blind box score bingo, and then we're going to get out of here. We'll be back next week, uh, normal time, I believe, depending on my travel schedule. Um, and uh, we should have a couple announcements to make. Um, for those of you who have been uh, emailing me about the Baton Rouge flood relief, we do have a plan in place for a fundraiser that will probably go for – well, I guess hopefully the duration of the college football season. It's going to be to help uh, Democracy Prep, which is the school that we talked about on last week's show. Um, there's just one hang-up, and we're trying to figure out how we can best collect that money to hand to a charter school. Um, it's uh, Actually, we won't really even get into the idea of it, what we're going to do. It, I think it's going to be pretty fun, uh, but we'll have I'll have a, hopefully an announcement locked in because we'll have an answer from legal on everything by next week but it is happening those of a bunch of you came, went out and donated to i got at least bill one email from every from i got at least one email saying that hey i donated to this and i think we listed what four or five causes uh like three i think okay 
I had multiple people tell me that they donated to BRAF, which is the Baton Rouge Area Foundation. Yeah. I had multiple people tell me that they, they donated to the Amazon wish list for flood recovery kits for the kids at did, uh, Democracy Prep. And then um, hopefully you guys can keep helping the Camillas out as they rebuild their home. Um, yep. So we'll have a, a more formal announcement on that next week. Um, uh, stay tuned. And, yeah, I'm going to keep hustling you for money. So you just better get ready. Uh, until then, I'm gonna hustle. I'm gonna hustle this robot right now. A little blind box score bingo. You ready? I was waiting for the, I was waiting for the air horn there, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I sorry, I didn't pull the air horn up this week. Um, <laughs> we'll just we'll just chalk that up to summer vacation. Um, okay, Bill. Uh, for, you know what? I have not been given the spiel lately, and because I don't give the spiel, people don't email me fresh blind box scores so what we do every week is that uh you the fabulous listener send us in a box score with no names on it i need you to photoshop that off only send them to me which is sgodjr at sbnation.com find a game that's interesting maybe deceptive something strange that happened within the confines of the box score i will then give bill that box score without the names attached he will recreate the game from there and give us as much information as possible uh, the goal is sort of the stump bill, but often it's just to explore the weirdness, the deficiencies, and the, let's call them antiquated tendencies of the modern box score. So, uh, with all that being said, Bill, you have the box score in front of you. I do. Uh, so, this one was sent in without even, like, a team A or team B or colors. So, I'm just going to go with team, uh, let's go with team one and team two. Is that okay with you? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, it's a different it's a different box score. Most people usually send the ESPN box score. This is from Fox Sports, so it'll be a slightly different amount of information. All right, there's a team one and a team two. Team one yeah. had 20 first downs. Of those 20 first downs, 14 were rushing and six were passing. Uh, they had zero penalties and they were 10% on third down conversions and zero percent on fourth down. Team two had 23 first downs, 12 passing, eight rushing. They had three penalties, and they had a third down conversion rate of 33%. They were 100% on fourth down. Uh, total plays. This is a different. This is kind of spicing it up. I like this. Team one had 63. Team two had 72. Team one had 374 total yards. They had 5.9 yards per play and 24 total drives. Oh, man. See, you're getting all what? kinds of new information on this one. 24? It said 24 anyway, total drives. I, I don't think I don't that's think. right, but go ahead. Well, Team 2 had 26 total drives. 6.1 yeah, like yards per play and 438 total yards. That's like less than three plays per drive. I don't think that's right. But anyway, anyway, it, we'll, we'll ignore that for now. Go ahead. Mm, Bill getting mad at the box score. This is going to be a good one. Uh, <laughs> team, uh, team 1 was 100, uh, had 101 yards passing. They were 8 of 23 with 4.4 yards per pass. Not good. They had zero picks. Team two was 304 total yards passing. They were 24 of 40 for uh, 7.6 yards per pass and one pick. Uh, Team one had 273 yards rushing, 40 attempts of 6.8 yards per carry. Team two rushed for 134 yards, 32 attempts, putting them at a 4.2-yard average. Uh, Again, team one had no turnovers. Uh, Team two threw an interception. There were no defensive touchdowns and no special teams touchdowns. The time of possession, Team 1 had 27 minutes, 9 seconds. Team 2 had 32 minutes, 51 seconds. And here's an extra stat, Bill. I was at this game. Oh. Um, well, luckily, you've been to more places than I have over the last couple of years. Otherwise, I could whittle that down pretty fast. Um, Maybe it wasn't Vanderbilt. 
So let's see. All right, I'll put it this way. So if Team One won the game, it was because of big rushing plays. They had six six point eight yards per carry, forty carries for two hundred seventy three yards. That that's in theory, if those if those yards came in the right order or whatever, then you can overcome being eight for twenty three passing and having a 10% third down conversion rate. Well, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter if that's 1 for 10 or 2 for 20 or whatever. That's terrible and it's very 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 hard to win if you're um at at 1 for 10 or 2 for 20. So their only chance in this game was if if those big rushing plays somehow worked out uh to, in their favor or of course as always finishing drives if team 2 like settled for eight field goals or something. Uh team 2 was clearly in control of this game. Uh, I guess the other way team one could have won was if that turnover was like a pick. Nope. No, it wasn't a pick six. Cause we see it. That's right. Had, no uh, defensive touchdowns. No defensive touchdowns. It was, okay. So if they returned it to like the one and then punched it in from there or something. Uh, so team two was in control. They had more first downs. They weren't great on third down, but they were better. Um, they sure threw a lot more. I don't think there was a huge comeback in this game. I think if there was a huge comeback, it would have been team one, but they were rushing like two thirds of the time, namely because they couldn't pass. Um, so I would, yeah, I would say that team B was in control. Uh, if they stalled out near the goal line or if that turnover was huge, or if, uh, you know, those run plays were like three fifty yard touchdowns and then a, a bunch of crap, mm-hmm. then I guess team A could have won, but it does seem, or one, sorry, team one could have won. Uh, but it seems like Team Two is in control here. So you think Team Two won? Oh, especially with three penalty, uh, three first downs on penalties. That kind of tells you that they that Team One was kind of out of control as well. So yes, I would say Team B probably won. Okay. Any other any other thoughts? You feel like it was pretty? Do you feel like it was even? What do you like? P- well, the interesting again. The, once again, the run pass ratio is interesting in that Team One rushed about two thirds of the time. Team Two. It wasn't like two thirds passing, but it was still they threw more than they ran, and they didn't really run the ball very well, uh, which maybe conver- uh, had a role to play in that third down conversion. But yeah, I mean they they really uh, it it seems like they would have been the ones in control. Ready? Yep. Uh, no date on this, but I was there. Dateline Indianapolis. Connor Cook was determined to shake things up in the Big Ten title game. By the end of the night, the sophomore quarterback's teammates were bouncing up and down right along with him. Number 10, Michigan State, rallied from a seven-point third-quarter deficit by scoring the final 17 points Sunday night to upset number two Ohio State 34-24 and deny the Buckeyes a chance to play in the Vizio BCS National Championship game. Interesting. I thought in my head they had pulled away in the second quarter, like they had a surge in the second quarter. I guess they surged in the second quarter just to go, oh, that's right, yeah, okay, they were up big, and then Ohio State came back. And then Michigan State put it away at the end. Okay. Braden Hodges, he sends this in and he says, I thought this might be an interesting game because while it's not a crazy score, it involved a 17-point run, a 24-point run, and another 17-point run. Along with the skewed time of possession and lopsided rushing and passing stats, I'm curious to see what Bill comes up with and if he thinks this was a competitive game, comeback, or blowout. You you thought it was, I guess, sort of a competitive game. Yeah, I mean... It's definitely not a traditional comeback, definitely not a blowout. Yeah, the yardage ended up relatively close, and then the team that had the more yards, Michigan State, had the turnover. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that right there would suggest that it was probably close, reasonably close. Personally, I chose this game because it was the defining moment for my Spartans, sending, uh, sending them to the Rose Bowl and providing that they can play at an elite level. There's that E-word. 
On top of that, I'm pretty new to the world of sports, and this is the first season I really dove into. Oh, cool. Well, right. I love the podcast and hope that you found this scoring at least interesting, if not challenging. Go green. Uh, thank you, Braden, for your submission. Um, welcome to sports. It's a brutal, brutal... Uh, it's <laughs> yeah, a terrible decision. Terrible. Brutal vocation as a fan. Um, maybe you should just watch movies and argue about comic books or something, but here you are. We welcome you. Um, yeah, I feel like... So I, I, I'm going to give you the win on that one, but just because it's, it's mushy. Um, yeah. I think there maybe. Tell me if I'm wrong, but Ohio State, by the way, was Team 1, and Michigan State was Team 2. We should have said that. So you pick Team 2, you pick Michigan State. Ohio State's troubles on offense you kind of identified. It, honestly, I can't even remember what I wrote that night, but that's what stuck out to me the most was what Pat Narduzzi was able to engineer, especially in the secondary, against Ohio State. So I'll give you the W. All right. Well, I, I looked up the big box score, and so Ohio State scored four times. They were on drives of – Five plays 84 yards, seven plays 53 yards, seven plays 75 yards, five plays 44. So right there, they had, what is that, about over 250 yards in those four possessions. They had 374 yards for the game. That means the other, like, 42 minutes of the game, they had, like, 120-something yards. Um, so, yeah, it was that, that was kind of what I thought might be going on there was just that, you know, if they you know, their scores came based on, like, when they were actually able to create some big plays, but they were so woefully inefficient the rest of the way that – uh, they couldn't keep their defense off the field. They couldn't go. And then I didn't even – I had forgotten that, that Michigan State had those two humongous passes early in the game, the 72-yard touchdown, the 33-yard touchdown. Raucous environment. I mean – that was, that was a cool game to watch. You were probably occupied that day. Do you know what was going on? Um, actually, that was – I mean, that was championship weekend 2013. So I had gone with Spencer to the Mizzou-Auburn game that day. Yep. Um, and then we were waiting to see if Michigan State could basically light the world on fire. So we were definitely – that was a really – that was such a, a momentous game because that got Auburn into the national title game. Uh, we, we kind of forget how close Ohio State came to, uh, to, to doing that. But, no, that was, um, that, that, that was a high-impact game, and it was a really fun game with those crazy swings. would have been a very different title game had we seen Ohio State and Florida State. Um, all right, Bill. Uh, just hey, just uh, another bit of house cleaning. I do have. I'm counting them up. I have 11 good submissions right now. Keep them coming, though. It's always fun to choose through them. So if you don't hear yours, it's just because we can only do one a week. But we'll get to them all eventually. Hopefully, maybe. Um, please stop sending us Toledo and Arkansas. That's. Uh, I feel like we just just build that into the intro of the entire show now. Um, we know it happened. Uh, well, we are well aware of it. We cannot do a blind box score bingo on Toledo and Arkansas. Did we ever actually do one? Is that the problem? I can't even it, remember now. It feels like we might have, yeah. That, I mean, that I feel was, like we that did, was... and then that just became the box score to send in. <laughs> I mean, that was a weird game. I mean, every year you have one like that. You had Florida, South Carolina a couple of years ago. Then you had Florida, Missouri the next year. Uh, and then Arkansas, Toledo last year, where just it, nothing makes sense about who won the game. But that's, that's kind of that's why we watch, right? We'll be back next week. Bill, you want to do it again? I bet you do, because college football's coming. Man, I can't wait to talk for 30 minutes about Cal Hawaii, too. Well, I mean, you say that like we're not going to. <laughs> I mean, no, that was, that was prep. That was, a, that was a, a public service. I'm going to come back down and break down drive charts, all right? Don't screw oh, yeah. with me. I'm ready. I'm so ready. Bye, guys.